It is a beautiful morning here in the swamps of Louisiana, so buckle up, buttercup, because this is the Big Tech Show from the Lunduke Journal of Technology. We're about to get our nerd on. It is Monday, May 15th, 2023, and there is an awful lot going on in the world. I want to start off. I want to start off before I get into some some bummer news and some exciting news and some weird news happening in the world of commute, computing. I want to start off by talking about our own show. I am going to navel gaze for a brief moment because there are a few changes that are happening right now. This is the first time this show has moved from the Sunday slot. We were doing it Sundays. We did a big two-hour show every Sunday to being one hour Monday through Thursday. So you get twice as much now, but scattered throughout the week, which is great for when, you know, news comes up and all that sort of thing. So you get a little bit of the goodness all week long. So that's <laughs> that's pretty gosh darned exciting if you ask me and you did not, but I offered it anyway. All right, Larry, let's let's dive right into it. Uh, I, before we, we talk about some, some more breaking news, I want to talk very briefly about artificial intelligence stuff. Because this has come up a couple of times this week where people have posted to the Lunduke Journal communities stuff about artificial intelligence, uh, stuff generated by artificial intelligence, um, videos, sound clips, text files, some poetry. It's, it's kind of all over the map. And it is fascinating to see what current iterations of AI, the chat GPT and everything else is able to accomplish. It is. From a nerdy standpoint, it's legitimately interesting and fascinating. That said, I do have some deep concerns (laughs) about, about artificial intelligence and how things are going to go. And I've even gone so far as to say that my publication, my shows, my articles, my books will never use AI-generated content. I don't think it's a good idea. I'm looking out in the industry right now and I'm seeing one news publication after another starting to rely heavily on these AI bots to create their tech articles. And that just sucks. I mean, that just straight up, it sucks for me. It sucks for you. It sucks for them. It sucks for the future where our history being recorded right now is being written by AI chatbots. I mean, that's that's messed up, <laughs> right? I mean, there's no... There's no bit of sci-fi futurism where people look at artificial intelligence and say, oh, thank God for that AI. It really saved the day. You know what I mean? The AI either gains control of robots and murders us, or it gains control of robots and murders us, or it locks us out of the spaceship. I mean, AI never does anything good. I think think the closest we can think of when we talk about artificial intelligence, where it didn't hurt us, are things like, um, um, oh, Marvin the Robot from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Was that guy's name Marvin? The really depressed robot that just kind of walks around going, nothing's good. What's nice about today? I'm just going to be sad and alone anyway. Like that robot. I think his name was Marvin. Like that was the best, nicest, most helpful artificial intelligence ever. And it's just really depressed. Um, so in my opinion, I don't see a future where this goes well, right? Like if I flash forward 30 years and I look back to 2023 and 2024, where 50% or more, and it is it is getting to be that level, of the articles written about computer computing technology for the major tech publications are written by AI chatbots, how much do I really trust the history from that period? Well, pretty much not at all. I mean, I don't know what's real and what's not at that point. I mean, they, they, these AI chatbots don't exactly have the greatest track record for, you know, telling the truth or being really investigative about things or using good human basic intelligence and, and good instincts to figure things out. Like it doesn't in common sense. These AIs just lack common sense to no end. 
And then I look out and I see what's happening in the self-published book front. There are growing examples where where someone will self-publish um, a history book or a technology book or something. It's happening a lot more in like the history scape. Feed, and then the text will get fed into an AI engine. And then people will use an AI to spit out chapters of a new book based on the old book. So is it plagiarism? Because a new book was written using the old book as the inputs. And then software created a new book based on it, which in theory will have all of the same facts or most of the same facts, but it'll be a whole new book with new sentences and everything just auto generated by a robot. Then that book will be put up for sale, uh, you know, on Amazon using their create space or Lulu self publishing and various other places to compete with the one that a person did that a human wrote, that a human spent their time investing into, researching, thinking about, agonizing over over the, the details, the facts, the wording, the feel, the layout, all of it. And someone just comes along and 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 kneecaps their sales by releasing a competing book that was just spit out by an AI. What good can come of that? Well, the original author and researcher, they make less money now. They're less inclined to do more future research. The odds of huge factual errors or just weird assumptions being made by the AI in this new book are incredibly high. Because the person who probably used the AI to spit out this new book probably wasn't a topic expert. They were just a a Johnny-come-lately taking advantage of the fact that AI exists and that book existed. Now, there's there's a lot of issues going on. There's issues going on with software, books, articles, all sorts of things. And by the way, have I seen issues where it looks like people have used AI to rewrite my articles? Yes, I have. Significant issues. And I've reached out to a couple of publications and the discussions that we've been having behind the scenes have not been promising. So when I look at all this, I start to wonder, does a stand need to be made? Like beyond just saying, I'm not going to use AI myself. Do we need to to draw a line in the sand and say, this is an AI free zone? For example, the the Lunduke Journal community, lunduke.locals.com, we don't allow politics within it, right? The Lunduke Journal technology, we don't allow discussion of politics because we want a zone where we we can be nerdy and talk with each other no matter what our political backgrounds because we're just good nerds and that comes first, right? Do we need to draw a similar line in the sand with artificial intelligence, and, and I'm asking this because it's something not only I've been wondering, but several of you, multiple ones, multiple people of you have reached out to me in the last week to ask me, you know, sh- should we say no AI content at all is allowed here? And I'm torn on it. I- I'm honestly torn on it because on the one hand, it's a fascinating, nerdy topic. So posting examples of it, for better or worse, is kind of fascinating, right? Like some of the examples that have been posted by all of you this week have been, some of them have been creepy. Some some of them have been my voice reading things that I never said. Some of them were Richard Stallman's voice reading things Richard Stallman never said. And it's fascinating because... It's amazing how far that technology came because it sounds pretty good. Now, I'm a person where there's a huge library of my audio out there. So training an AI to sound like me, there's a ton of content that it can train from, right? Same with Richard Stallman. So getting me and Richard Stallman to say literally anything you want with some of the audio AI tools that are out there is incredibly simple and takes very little time. And posting that sort of thing helps bring attention to it. And it's fascinating to look at it from a tech and nerd perspective at how far it's come. On the other hand, with the great advancements in 
uh, uh, video, audio, and image deepfakes, the great advancements in in like things like Bing and ChatGPT and all the other AI tools for creating the text to feed into those those systems. It's becoming increasingly obvious to me that some sort of big stand needs to be made against against what is happening here. So I, I put a poll up over on the Lunduke Journal. And as of the last time I checked it, what I I asked was this. Will the results of the current developments of artificial intelligence, including chat GPT, deep fake videos, etc., be a net positive or a net negative in your life? Notice I'm talking specifically about your life, not... Uh, some industry, not to the profits of a corporation, not to the society at large, but your life. Will it be a, a net positive or a net negative impact? Because it's clearly, it's going to have some of both, right? So wh- is it is it more good or more bad? Um, 26% of you said it'll be a negative impact. 21% of you said, oh, you know what? It's going to be 50 50. It kind of evenly split. 13% of you said it'll be a positive impact. And 39% of you said the jury's still out. So if you look at it from that point of view, what is that? 40, 60% of respondents so far, and this will keep going. It'll be more by the time, uh, by the, time the show is posted. But 60% of you are either on the fence as it'll be kind of mixed and in the middle or just have no idea of what the results are going to be. Only 13% of you are like, you know what? The results will be positive. I, I, I was not surprised by those results. Because I think there is still a lot up in the air and a lot of unknowns. I personally, I view AI in an incredibly negative light. I mean, I'm just, I'm just an, I'm a bummer when it comes to AI stuff. That said, I'm not ready to ban AI content being posted to the Lunduke Journal by members of the community. I'm not going to. I'm not going to use it to write articles, to create podcasts, comic strips, nothing. I, I, I'm not touching it. But if other people want to post it for the time being, I think that's okay. I'm going to make the caveat that if people start posting stuff that is AI created without telling us, I'm going to start putting a ban on it and I'm going to enforce it. But as long as everyone's clear that that a little tiny piece of code with a billion if statements made this text, these pictures, this sound, this sound clip, I'm okay with it for the time being because it is an interesting thing. I reserve the right to look into this in the future. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Let's let's move on from AI. Sort of. There is. Let me let me pull this article up here. There was a study that just happened. Um, pulling this from securitymagazine.com. Um, a study, a new report repeals. This is the, the 20th annual bad bot report from Imperva. <laughs> bad bot report. After a detailed study of as many aspects of internet traffic as they could pull together, from the year 2022, so last year, they determined that 47.4% of all internet traffic came from bots. (laughs) 47.4% of all traffic, all of it. We're not just talking social media posts here. All of it, email, social media, just, just so much of it. Comments, just surfing websites, 47.4% came from bots, which was a 5.1% increase from the previous year. So it's up 5.1%. So the same report showed that human traffic at only 52.6% is is on the decrease, obviously, because, you know, the bots are increasing. The bots bots are growing. The bots are on the march. Um, Hold on a second. Uh, The fourth for the fourth consecutive year, this continues. 
the volume of bad bot traffic, it, it, which is defined as malicious automated software applications capable of high speed abuse, misuse, or attacks, all over the all over the map here. This could be all sorts of stuff. Grew to thirty point two percent, which was also a two point five percent increase. Holy heavens! Um, I mean, this is pretty, this is pretty amazing. Uh, they also say that, and I don't know exactly how they account for this, that the sophistication, um, of the bots is on the increase that because now the bots that are classified as advanced accounted for over 50% of all the bot traffic. Um, and there's a 155% increase in account takeover attacks, um, and, uh, 15% of all login attempts in the past 12 months across all industries were classified as account takeover. So, uh, 15% of all attempts to log in to any website and any service was fraudulent and trying to gain access to it. I mean, this is amazing. Um, in 2022, this last year, 17% of all attacks on APIs came from bad bots abusing business logic. Um, geez, holy heavens. Um, yeah, uh, travel at 24.7%, retail at 21%, financial services at 12.7% experienced the highest volume of bot attacks. Gaming <laughs> at 58.7% and telecom at 47% had the highest proportion of bad bot traffic. So almost 60% of all the traffic for gaming websites and services is just bots. It's just bots that are classified as malicious. <laughs> now here's, here's, this is great. This is great. So what countries, what countries did they come from? All right. So the global average, um, the global average per, so for a country is that your country will have 30% of its traffic be 30.2% be, be, uh, bad bots in Germany. Number one is Germany. 68.6%. Woo. <laughs> There's a lot of traffic that it's just bad bots. <laughs> One in five bad bots used mobile Safari as their browser of choice in 2022, which is up from 16% the previous year. Holy moly. Now, the, why I'm saying this kind of dovetails into the AI thing. As artificial intelligence gets better, as things like chat GPT and whatnot get better at mimicking humans, at analyzing human data and mimicking it, these bots become more and more sophisticated, which means we're at a point. If you talk to two accounts on the internet that you don't know personally, it's kind of a coin flip whether or not it's fake. I, it, it's funny. When you have like, let's say you're on Twitter and you make a really popular tweet that gets shared a whole bunch. If that tweet touches on a political topic, like one of the hot button topics, you know, inevitably you will get a deluge of tweets that really look like they're all written by the same piece of software. Some of them are word for word, the same as each other. Some of them are almost the same, but with slight variations that are almost, almost too conspicuous in how slight the variations are. And they're all posted a certain number of minutes apart from each other. And sometimes you just get floods of those. If you, so when Elon Musk, for example, when he bought Twitter, he, he was postulating that a certain percentage of Twitter traffic was likely bots. And I, I post, I post, postulated at that time, and I and I hold to this that he's probably wildly wrong because I think, I think Twitter traffic is probably ninety percent bots or more. I think these reports where forty seven percent of all internet traffic is bots is wildly low. I think it's way more than that, way way more, way way more. Yeah, I just, it, I just, I just think it is, and I think that issue is going to increase exponentially 
in the years ahead. I think just in 2023, it's exploding right now. And it's going to get so, so much worse. (laughs) It's going to get awful. Which, you know, here's the thing. There are only a few ways to combat that. And, And I've taken the approach of going behind a closed wall of of bringing my community and my publication into a walled garden because without that i really have no way of knowing how much traffic how many viewers listeners readers i actually have to, to give you a good example i used to do um I used to do a show uh, called the Linux Action Show back in like 2006 through, I don't know, 2012 or so. And for several years, it was by far the largest Linux podcast that was out there in terms of total views and downloads and whatnot. I mean, by far. But here's the crazy thing. We didn't really know how many listeners we really had. Because it became clear that those download links for the MP3 files were getting hit by bots. And so it became a constant, a constant effort to try and filter that out. And this was back then. Nowadays, if you have um, a YouTube channel, uh, People not only buy massive quantities of clicks, they, they do that for, for, for videos, but they do it for articles and everything else. And to give you an example of this, and I think this is, this is highly, highly sketchy. There is a certain Linux company that will not be named. <laughs> Those of you who know me can maybe figure it out. There is a certain Linux company that has produced many videos. And some of those videos legitimately went viral. They were legitimately popular and lots and lots of people, tens and hundreds of thousands of people watched those videos because they they were shared around a lot. One day, they created a video that they were confident was going to go viral. And it didn't because it was dumb. (laughs) It was just not very good. A couple hundred people watched it. And this isn't a company with more than that, with more employees than that, which means that not only did this video not go viral, but not even they couldn't even bring all the employees to click on it once. That's how bad it was. So what did they do? Well, they used a series of bots. <laughs> they paid for bots to play this YouTube video 60,000 or more times to make it look like people enjoyed the video. <laughs> so the, the usage of these bots is all over the map. It is to spread disinformation. It's to, <coughs> to fake uh, views. It's to throw metrics off. It's to gain access to other people's accounts. It's to all, do all sorts of stuff. And it makes up, I I think, the majority of internet traffic. This report says 47%. I think it's over 50%. And I think it's going to... I would be really surprised if come the end of the year, we're not over 60%. It's getting bad. But behind a closed wall, you, you put up a paywall, even if it's just a buck. And you say, in order to come behind here and make a post and click the links, you have to pay a dollar first. You have to have a subscription Well, the bot farms typically aren't going to whip out the credit card and pay for subscriptions. There's a million reasons why not, but mostly it's because they're cheap. So that, that solves the problem. Like you, I know without a doubt, we don't have a bunch of bots posting stuff in the Lunduk journal community because it's just not reasonable. And you can kind of tell. Um, All right, let's, let's talk about layoffs for a minute. We are, we are in May, May of 2023 and tech layoffs. So layoffs in the tech industry, according to layoffs.fyi, which is, you know, thank you to the guy who put that together. 
we are now at 193,950 layoffs for the year. Yeah. So that is a record. 2023 is officially the the year with the most layoffs in the in the tech industry in human history. The the previous winner was last year, 2022 at 164,000 and some change. Which means we are a good 30,000 layoffs higher than the entirety of last year. <laughs> And it's just May. <laughs> uh, last week, we saw some more layoffs from Microsoft, just a small amount from Microsoft. They did about 10,000 layoffs uh, a little earlier in the year, and they did some more because they, they found some more they could lay off. Um, Stack Overflow is doing a bunch of layoffs. Um, Akamai, LinkedIn, which LinkedIn is, is really Microsoft. I don't feel like they should... They, LinkedIn laid off a ton of people. But that's kind of like Microsoft laying off people because Microsoft owns LinkedIn. Um, and, and one additional little piece came out. And I wanted to share this because um, I mentioned this uh, previously. So Fedora, Fedora laid off a huge portion of their workforce this year. Uh, and that kind of was a rolling thing that has gone into effect over the previous couple of months or previous couple of weeks. And I mentioned that that there was going to be a lot of people laid off that were probably going to touch on the Linux side of things. You know, it was going to be a lot of people in sales and whatnot, but this was going to be hitting Linux directly related positions, dev and whatnot. And it turns out that that was right. Um, in fact, the uh, project manager of Fedora got laid off, a guy named Ben Cotton. Um, he's one of the guys that got laid off. Um, let me see. I, I, he posted on his blog, um, on April 24th of 2023, Red Hat announced a 4% reduction global staff as a member of that 4%. Today is my last day at Red Hat. Um, I've been told, uh, I've told folks that if Fedora falls off the rails, then I have failed. I'm working with the, some of the remaining leadership within Fedora, uh, and at Red Hat and others to ensure coverage of the core job duties one way or the other. Um, documentation is far more comprehensive than what I inherited. So that's nice. Um, no doubt there are gaps in what I've left for my successors, um, however, my goal is that in a few months, nobody will notice that I'm gone. Well, one can, one, <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, as for what the broader implication, he goes on to say, behind the loss of my position might be, I don't know. There's no indication that my role was targeted specifically. Y yes, it was, Ben. There are definitely people in Red Hat who continue to view Fedora as strategically important. I wish I had a clear understanding of how they chose people roles to cut, but I'll probably never know the process. What I do know is that I fully intend to still be participating in the Fedora community. Okay. So this is a, this is a, this is a key position. This is a key position for managing the overall project. Um, now the line here that really stuck out to me, and I'm going to read this again. There's no indication that my role was targeted specifically there are definitely people in Red Hat who continue to view Fedora as strategically important. That means, read between the lines there, that means that there are people, significant amount of people, probably most, that do not view Fedora as strategically important. He said, again, there are definitely people in Red Hat who continue to view Fedora as strategically important. What I have heard backs up the reading between the lines there. These are not the last layoffs we'll have seen. I, I, I feel fairly confident from what little bits I've heard that there is a lot more coming here, not just at Red Hat, but noteworthy tech layoffs specifically in the open source area in the coming weeks. Um, 
It's not, it's not going to be a giant across the board bloodbath. Hopefully it will not super significantly add to the already record breaking layoff numbers, but we will see more things like this where we lose specific key roles running community projects like the project manager position at Fedora, which again, this man was not just fired. He didn't just quit. They killed his role right? They said, we don't need this. We don't need this role working on Fedora anymore within Red Hat. Uh, It's hard not to see that as Red Hat continuing under IBM to put increasingly less focus on not just the community, but the community projects. So uh, killing off CentOS, um, uh, laying off and and just getting rid of the project manager position for for Fedora. There's more. There's more on the way. Um, Little birdies are squawking. (laughs) I hear them. Um, I... Uh, watch over the coming weeks as it happens, I'll report on it here, but there's, there's more on the way. It's, it's, which is a bummer. I mean, it's hard to look out at the Linux community and the open source world, which is something that I, I, I am passionate about. I love it, but it's hard to see these companies do such a poor job of managing their resources in relation to Linux and open source. Um, but even more than that, even in the, even in the examples where I feel like the companies are trying their best, it's still hard to see the layoffs happen. Uh, and it, it's hard to see that in part because we know a lot of these people and in part because it calls into question what the company's commitment to the future of those projects is going to be. For example, Red Hat invests a huge amount into GNOME, Network Manager, and a huge variety of tools that are key components of the desktop Linux experience. That that has been true for years and years now. I mean, Red Hat has contributed so much, not just to the Linux kernel. I mean, without the work Red Hat has done, the experience of using, say, wireless networks on a desktop or laptop running Linux would not be as enjoyable as it is today. I mean, they really made it happen. They made Network Manager happen. So I I am concerned. I am concerned. But my prediction is that IBM and Red Hat will continue reducing their general Linux ecosystem involvement over the coming quarters throughout the rest of 2023 and into early 2024. Um, And some other companies... (laughs) Some other companies that I will remain nameless for about another two weeks will be doing some similar things. Uh, that's just that's just going to be happening. Um, all right. I, I want to also mention, and I think this is fascinating. Um, so a lot of you may have played around with Asahi Linux. Asahi Linux is a Linux distribution that is and project that is all about making Linux work well on Silicon Macs. So M1, M2 processor-based Macintoshes, right? And this has been no small feat. Getting any operating system other than Mac OS running on these newer line of Silicon Macs, of, of Apple Silicon Macs, is, is a nightmare because they end up having to reverse engineer huge portions of not just the CPU, but the GPU, some of the firmware. It's, it's just, it's so much work. But the team has done a remarkable job of it to the point where you can get um, uh, like an M1 MacBook Air and get Linux up and running pretty well nowadays. There are there are gotchas still. There are quirks and headaches. It's not performing as well as it should, but the performance is still actually pretty decent. It's impressive. Well, the lead of that project, the lead engineer, Hector Martin made the following statement that I'm going to read part of to you because I found it fascinating. Hector stated this, please, please stop using, then again, please was in italics there. (laughs) Stop using Xorg with Asahi Linux. Yeah, he doesn't want people using X11, the X server with Linux. He continues, it's all but unmaintained, 
broken in fundamental ways that cannot be fixed, unsuited to modern display hardware like these machines, like the Silicon Max, and we absolutely do not have the bandwidth to spend time on it. We strive for a quality desktop on Apple Silicon machines, but we have to pick and choose our battles very carefully because we can't single-handedly fix all the problems in the entire Linux desktop ecosystem. You can just feel, <laughs> you can feel the exasperation in his voice. He's like, I can't do it all, man. He continues. Yes, some Xorg things might work better on other platforms. That doesn't mean Xorg is not broken. It means those platforms have spent years working around Xorg's failings. <laughs> like, damn, dude. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel about Xorg. <laughs> Tell me where Xorg hurt you. Um, he continues, he continues. We don't have the time for that. Distributions and major desktop environments are already dropping Xorg support. It's pointless to try to support it well today on a new platform. X Wayland. X Wayland is the ability to to run Xorg. It's like a, it's like an Xorg X11 compatibility layer that runs on top of Wayland as the display server, right? X Wayland will continue to be supported for legacy client apps, and we do plan to spend time on optimizing the X Wayland experiment experience. But for anything that goes beyond displaying Windows, <laughs> um, please use native Wayland applications, since X Wayland will never integrate properly for those things. Whoa. Whoa, I'm going to read some more of it to you because, man, honestly, I don't know about you guys, but this is spicy. Yes, not every random app and feature you use on Xorg will have a Wayland equivalent. Deal with it. <laughs> Whoa, the major players in desktop Linux have decided it's time to move on from Xorg. And if you want to go against the tide, you're on your own. <laughs> Damn, dude. Man, I don't. I feel like there's a bunch of people still using Xorg, which includes me, who are who are standing here and giving the giving the you can pry Xorg from my cold dead hands speech. Oh man, um, we do expect Xorg. He continues to continue to function for the bare essentials, such as showing a working desktop. But that's it. We won't be working on any features or non-desktop breaking bugs beyond that. Oh, okay, all right. So that, he's not just like saying it won't boot at all, like it won't display Xorg at all. It just won't perform well, and it's going to have bugs. The only reason, he says, we shipped Xorg by default is that Wayland compositors were slower with software rendering. The reverse is true now that we have GPU drivers, and we will be switching all default Xorg KDE users to default Wayland in an update, along with promoting the GPU drivers uh, uh, blah, 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 to, the build, to the default builds really soon. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> oh. Oh my goodness. Uh, so, so that's on Asahi Linux, right? And, and to be fair, they're facing a unique set of challenges. I get it. I get it. They're, they're reverse engineering their GPUs. They have a limited amount of, of manpower that they can, they can do, uh, that they can dedicate to these things. I get it. You've got to pick and choose your battles, but man, was that spicy. It, it, it what's interesting is People have been doing this exact same general complaint about Xorg for so many years. I, I remember I remember doing a Linux suck show maybe 10 years ago now where Fedora had claimed that they were going to be default Wayland, like dropping Xorg and being default Wayland. This was like the fourth year. I can't, I can't remember the timeline now, but it feels like it went on for years and they just never were able to do it. They were never able to move to Wayland. And, and, but they, they kept having Wayland as like a, as like a secondary testing option to Xorg. Nowadays, 
things are different, right? I, I can't make fun of, of Fedora and a bunch of other distributions for claiming they were this was going to be the year of Wayland, but never able to ship it. That went on for years and years. They have finally gotten to a Wayland default point on a number of different desktops nowadays. Not all, but a, a number of different Linux desktops have. So that is happening. But that general complaint of, there's no way we can make XOR work, it's too buggy, everything's broken, that has been, that has been screamed from the rooftop forever, since before Wayland was birthed back in the year 1649, and it just now is becoming somewhat usable, and what's, what I think people fail to realize is there is a huge huge amount of functionality in Wayland that or in Xorg that doesn't exist in Wayland currently. Now, for example, and this is this to me is a realistic thing. I can sit down using an X11 client running on DOS and connect to a an Xorg Windows machine that is the X server and run my Linux applications graphically on a DOS machine. Does everyone want to do that? No. Do I do that every day? No, I don't do that every day. But it's cool that I can. And that, that sort of functionality is something that we've lost a lot of. A big chunks of that are gone in moving over to Wayland. So yes, I get it. Xorg is a big, crusty code base. It is. It's been ported and rewritten so many times now, right? I mean, this was from the 80s. X, the X server came about in the 80s. And the version we're running now is not even the first version of Xorg that existed on Linux. I mean, Xfree86 and, and a bunch of others existed prior to that. Heck, there was a period of time where, where different Linux distributions all had different versions of an X server, but they were all able to, or at least for the most part, communicate between clients and servers so you could have machines running across the office or across the world. You could connect to Solaris machines and Irix boxes. You could do all sorts of weird stuff, and it's awesome. People don't, people have lost that. And so when I see people complaining about Xorg and saying uh, how broken it is, is that a bit exaggerated? Yes. There is some truth to it. I know. Yes, there are bugs in Xorg. I know there are because I've encountered them too. And yeah, I've been tracking a few of them for, I don't know, 10 years now and they haven't gotten fixed. Yes, that's a true thing. I get it. But come on. Come on. I, I, think, I think this is a little overly salty. I, I, but I, just the same, just the same, I understand the frustration in the, <laughs> the Asahi Linux guy. Holy heavens, was it salty. All right, all right. Um, let's move away from Linux for a moment. Uh, we only got a few minutes left in today's show. But I want to mention a new video game that's available for the Commodore 64. Because um, I, I, I've said it a thousand times and I'll say it again. I love it when people produce new software for old computer platforms, keeping them alive. Because there is no reason an Apple II, a Commodore 64, a DOS PC, an old mainframe is not perfectly usable and fun and great in the current year. Yeah, it might not be running the latest version of Wayland, but it's still a cool computer with its own pluses and we and minuses, its own strengths and weaknesses. So, um, uh, Sarah Jane Avery. Sarah Jane Avery is a developer who has produced games for the Commodore 64 and other platforms for a couple of years now. And uh, she does some really great work. Well, she made a a, uh, a shoot 'em up, like a little like top scrolling shoot 'em up, uh, like a like a 1942 style uh, game. You know, shoot all the things, move your ship around, shoot all the things for the Commodore 64 called Zeta Wing. And this was uh, two or three years ago for the Commodore 64. It was a great it was a great shoot 'em up game. 
and she released it over on sarahjaneavery.itch.io. If you just do a search for Zeta Wing, Z-E-T-A Wing, you'll find it. Well, she released a sequel called Zeta Wing 2, and it looks so friggin' good. I, I love... I mean, we're how many years on from the release of the Commodore 64 at this point? But what's amazing about it is people really know how to squeeze every last bit of performance and graphical capabilities and sound out of these amazing older pieces of hardware. Um, Zeta Wing 2 is a fun vertical shoot 'em up for the Commodore 64. Um,. Uh, features seven challenging stages, each with their own graphic style, three difficulty settings, lots of parallax scrolling. Uh, the, the videos do look great. I, I, I highly recommend checking out the little video clip at sarahjaneavery.itch.io and uh, checking that out. Uh, PAL and NTSC compatible, so both Europe and uh, North American and whatnot uh, display TV sets. Um, supports the Commodore 64 GS joysticks with the second button. Simultaneous music and sound effects saving and loading settings and high scores uh table to your your cartridge or disc um pretty cool pretty pretty darn cool so congratulations to sarah jane avery and and congratulations to all the commodore 64 fans out there because more games are available she's selling that for uh, was it 4.99 over on itch worth it um i'm gonna pick it up uh after i finish this show i don't have a working commodore 64 but she makes it available as a uh hold on let me pull this up here uh she makes it available as a uh, both a dot crt file and a dot d64 file which means you can just plop it into an emulator so if you've got a Commodore 64 emulator, I mean, it doesn't say it, it doesn't say it supports the emulator, but I'm, I'm sure it does somewhere. And I don't see why it wouldn't. I'm, I'm sure she used the emulator, <laughs> some sort of emulator in order to, uh, in order to test this thing. I would be surprised. Don't take my word for it. If you go by and it doesn't work in the emulator, uh, you know, it's not, it's not Lunduk's fault. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, that, that brings us to the end of, of today's show. Oh, I have so much more to talk about. I I, I have more notes, uh, more things, but we're running out of time. The good news is there's always tomorrow and the day after and the day after that. And what's great is when we get to Thursday, that's going to be the audience question day. So I've got a mountain of things to talk about news, uh, things that I think are cool, things that I think suck that we're going to be talking about uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, but every Thursday, We do one hour of questions from all of you. And they can be serious questions, goofy questions, tech support, um, asking me about some topics that that you feel like I should have covered in the show but just didn't. How this is going to work is going to be pretty familiar to a lot of you. I'm going to make a post later today on Monday. I'm going to do this every Monday to lunduke.locals.com where I say, ask me whatever questions you want. I will then go into the comments there because I'm only going to take questions from the comments in that one post. It makes it easier for me and I'm an essentially a very lazy man. (laughs) I I work way too hard as it is. I need need to be lazy somewhere. So I'm going to be lazy here. So it's just going to be this one post I'm going to go right into the comments there. I'm going to pick out the questions that either I think are the best or that other people have liked the most. So if you like the other questions, go in and like those questions, you know, uh, that'll tell me what people want to be answered. And then on Thursday, I will go through, answer the most popular questions and the ones that I want to answer myself every Thursday. We'll do this every Thursday going forward. Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, that's uh, that's Lunduke's pick on what topics we, we cover. Um, coming up over the next couple of weeks, we've got a couple of interviews lined up. Pretty excited about that, uh, which is great. It's great to be getting back into interviews now that I am settled. Now that I have, I have found my home here in the swamps, here in the bayou, surrounded by the gators and the crawdads and the, just the bugs that are huge. There are these moths here. This is, I know this is not nerdy and I got to finish the show up, but sometimes when you're going walking around and it's like early evening, 
you'll get hit in the head or the chest, but what by what you swear was a a bird or a bat or something, and it's a moth. It's these these moths that are just huge. I swear to heavens, they're going to eat your face up. But it's just a moth, and the bugs here are insane. <laughs> I love it. I love this place so much. But now that I'm settled down. Now that I've found my my place to be, it makes it much easier for me to to line up guests and to get interviews going. So thank heavens for that. Thank thank the good Lord. Um, now this this first episode in this new time slot in this new format is the very last episode that will be freely released. This is it. No more free after this. I will publish this in a few different places. It will go out on, on podcast feeds that are, exist all over and Substack and everywhere else. I'll probably even stick this sucker up on Patreon. It's going to stick it everywhere. If you want to keep listening to the big tech show from the Lunduke Journal of Technology, Monday through Thursday, every single week, To get all of the goodness, you need to subscribe at lunduke.locals.com. If you just go to lunduke.com, it'll redirect you right there. That is the only way. Go to lunduke.locals.com, subscribe, and then either on the website or in the iPhone or Android app, click on the content tab. In that content tab, you can see all the videos all the podcasts, all the articles, all the PDFs, it's all right there. It couldn't be easier. Now, I know I know a lot of you are looking out there thinking, I, I, I need an RSS feed, um, I, I want to get it through Apple, iTunes, all that sort of thing. You're going to have to be a little patient. The only way for the moment to verify that you're getting the shows is through lunduke.locals.com. That's it. There will be a post for every show. So not only do you, can you get it from the, the content tab, but there'll be a post that comes up every, every day, Monday through Thursday, that I'll post in the morning where you can grab the show. But I am working on a solution. So we have an RSS feed for all of you out there who love the RSS feeds. I am working on that. It will not happen in the next week. So you're going to have to be a little bit patient with me on that. I'm also working very closely with the development team and the head of Locals.com. They are working on specific features that both I requested and that a lot of you have talked about to make our experience on Locals even better than what it already is. Because Locals already provides us with way more features and way cooler features than we ever had on Substack or Patreon or YouTube or anything else. But there were a few points where they could, where it could still be better. So I'm working with them on that. And I have been absolutely thrilled at how not only receptive they have been, but they've jumped at it. That's oh, awesome. It's awesome to see tech companies do that. Treating their, their customers so well. Uh, I'm... I mean, they're bending over backwards in order to make sure that our experience, not just mine, but all of yours, is a really enjoyable one. So I've got a meeting later this week with them to go over some designs and mock-ups that they've come up with for some new features that will specifically make the the experience of me and all of you subscribers to the Lunduke Journal even better. So thank you to everyone who has come over and joined us over at lunduke.locals.com. If you haven't already, do so now. (laughs) All future episodes, all ad-free, all big tech influence-free episodes will be available Monday through Thursday and only at lunduke.locals.com. All right, everybody. With that, I do declare end broadcast.